0: sure audience. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello everybody. Hi
1: guys.
0: My name is Gage
1: and I'm Ray. And today I'm gonna tell you about the most badass ten year old that ever lived. Welcome to Gore Report.
0: (laughs) Welcome. I'm so excited. That was very I'm already just entrapped in the story. The most badass ten year old that ever lived. I'm here for it. I
1: mean, this case definitely made me look at children in a whole new light. (laughs) And not in the not don't don't at me.
0: You said not in the bad way, I promise. Not in the
1: bad way. Not in the bad way.
0: So, hi, everyone. We hope you're having a good day and a good week. And and a a good good life. life. We always hope you're having a good life. And to start this episode off, believe it or not, we actually do have a few small things to talk about for once. Yes, we do. So, the first thing is that we have expanded our audience in terms of we've uh you can now find us on a few more platforms up to really like a few days ago we were only on Spotify and Apple Podcast but now that has changed yes. and you can now also find us on Amazon Music, Audible and Google Podcast.
1: Yes. So I've that's never been really more cool.
0: Yeah, I know it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Again, we had no idea this show would grow to what it's grown to. And you guys being a part of the journey is absolutely freaking awesome. And we wouldn't have been able to do any of this without you. Right. You know?
1: Right, exactly. So, you're our babies.
0: You're our babies. And we love you. And we always will as long as you consent to it because consent is, is important.
1: important.
0: It is very, very important. So that's something cool that we wanted to share.
1: And a big hello to all of our new listeners. We are so happy to have you.
0: Yes, welcome, welcome. We usually say that in the very beginning, but we got really excited to tell you guys about our expansion. So, uh, yeah, welcome. If you are listening to me and Ray here at Gore Report for the first time, well, hello. Hello. We are... Two awkward beans from small town Georgia, and we have a hankering for some true crime yes. and some. We like to talk some spook and some spook and some creepy and some weird and
1: some dark history.
0: All the weird stuff. So that's kind of our thing. We upload episodes every Thursday. We've been best friends for like a decade. Yep, and uh, over this a is decade. Over a decade. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is just, you know, our thing. So if you are new to the show and just listening for your first time, then I really hope you stick around. We would love to have you.
1: And we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we are sorry in advance. Because, again, I put emphasis on we are two really extremely severely awkward beads. And we try our best not to be, <laughs> but it always fails. So.
1: <laughs> so, before we dive into my case, I heard that you had a short report for today.
0: Yes, a short report, which... This is our first one. Yes. Basically, we've decided that if we have any kind of true crime news or any kind of present day updates on past cases that we've covered, that we would have a little section in our introduction Called Short Reports. Get it? Short Report? Gore Report? (laughs) No? Just me? Okay. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I heard about this story. It's very recent. This just took place on November 30th, and it absolutely broke my fucking heart, and there's not a lot of details out at the moment. Okay. But on November 30th, there was a seven-year-old in Paradise, Texas. Okay. Her name is Athena Strand. She was seven years old, and she was playing in her driveway- when she was abducted by a FedEx driver. What? Yes, and literally within an hour of him abducting her, again, out of her fucking driveway, he murdered her and then dumped her body
1: oh my god
0: yeah this literally just happened and it is so sad like she was seven and she was playing in her own driveway like isn't that just sad
1: nobody's safe anymore like
0: the world is just a really really not so good place and it's it's so sad to you know you add this layer of the holidays about to happen and this poor girl's parents now have to Deal with this. I just I couldn't imagine, but I wanted to tell you guys about it because the minute that I heard about it, it's just been weighing on me Mm -hmm. really heavily. There's not a lot of information out right now. An arrest has been made, but you know, it's still in the beginning phases. This just happened like two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, if any updates come about, you know this may be a case in the future that we're going to cover, but I just wanted to tell you guys about it. It's very, very sad, and my heart goes out to this family. I just couldn't imagine. I literally couldn't imagine. It fucked up my whole week (laughs) to learn about this. I'm (laughs) not even going to lie.
1: My darling, I'm going to fuck up your whole evening.
0: Oh, no.
1: (laughs) (sighs) So... This case was really hard for me to look into.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. Because... (laughs) Yeah.
1: Because... You know how, like, I like to look at um, every different aspect of the case and, like, what drives these people to do things. Of and, course, of course. Right. But to me, personally, I think the person responsible in this story is an absolute monster. What he did was unforgivable. And, you know, I hope he has pineapple shoved up his ass in hell. <laughs> I mean. <laughs>
0: Jesus.
1: Let's be real. Anyway. I tried looking into autopsy reports and any further information that might be out there, you know, like of the crime scenes and stuff. Gotcha. But there was none from what I saw. So I compiled information from various sources to put together a clear, better, brighter picture. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, today's story is actually brought to us by Megan Beeman.
0: Oh, Megan! Yes! So, not only is Megan a avid listener of ours, she's supported the show from the very beginning, but I've actually known her and have been friends with her almost the same amount of time that I've known you and been friends with you. Oh, awesome! So, Megan, hi, if you're Hello. listening to this. I love you, and thanks <laughs> for suggesting a case for us. I actually am going into this blind, like I know nothing about this, so uh, Megan... After the episode, we will determine if I'm Thankful or angry for your suggestion. (laughs) But regardless, thank you for sending it in. I love you lots and I miss you.
1: And a quick side note to any new listeners if you have a case that you want us to cover or look into, feel free to get on our social medias, which we post at the end of the episode. Always. Always. And just reach out to us and let us know if you have a story.
0: You know, any case at all that you would like to hear us cover, we always love hearing your suggestions. So send those in if you have any for sure.
1: and now let's get into the amazing survival story of Robin Doan. So today I am taking you to Pampa, Texas, on September 29th in 2005. Okay. So there's a ten year old little girl named Robin Doan, and she was getting ready for school. She grew up in a very loving household with her mom, Michelle Conrad. Her stepdad, Brian Conrad, who was a hardworking farmer and a family man. Gotcha. And her older teenage brother, Zach. Okay. They were all very kind, real people, like the caring type of people who were just living their dream. You know, they had their house on the farm, all this land, you know.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, Brian was making pancakes that morning, which was Robin's favorite.
0: Oh, I like pancakes, too.
1: You know, they ate pancakes for breakfast. Her and Zach went to school. When they came back, Robin was with her mother trying on maternity clothes. Her mother was five months pregnant.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And Robin was ready to be, like, the greatest big sister ever. Oh. But that entire day is the last happy memory that she has of her family. Oh, no. At 7 a.m. the following morning. Oh no. 911 operators receive this disturbing phone call. Your 911. Ma'am, uh-huh. there was a shootout in my house. Um, I don't know She she's alive in my house, no, I'm scared out Where of Where are 70. you at? Um, 42 Highway 70. It's about 13.3 miles out from the bowling alley. The next one over. I have a purple shirt on. I have
0: purple pants on. Can you just Holy shit. Was that Robin? Yes. Oh, my heart. Holy shit. My heart.
1: Yeah. it's It's really hard. It's really hard to get through. But we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. Poor just, girl. This is just the beginning.
0: Poor girl. That so, just made me so... I know I say it every episode a hundred times an episode, but that made me so sad. I know. <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, this is going to be one of those, isn't yeah. it? It's going to be one of those.
1: But one thing that I can tell you guys is that even through all this darkness, there is still light at the end of the tunnel. That's the only hint you're going to get.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that makes me feel a little less so nervous I could fucking puke. <laughs> <laughs> So that's good. That's good. I'll take it. I'll take it.
1: first responder, Officer Chad Brooks, uh, he was, I believe, a sheriff's deputy. Gotcha. He commented that he felt he couldn't get to the house fast enough.
0: Like when this call was made.
1: Yeah, because he knew it was a child, but they have no information on what's going on.
0: Or what's happening. I can imagine that's... Absolutely terrifying. And,
1: yeah, I mean, that has to be the hardest call for anyone to respond to, even the 911 operator. Right. Because those 911 operators are basically meeting people under the most traumatic events.
0: And some really ridiculously. They're,
1: right. They're seeing these high pressure circumstances. In in ways that they wouldn't normally act because they're stressed or they're scared. You know? Yeah, so. it's sad.
0: Especially, and then you bring a child being on that end of the situation.
1: Exactly, That
0: is terrifying. And it is, you know, sad. I'm going to say that like a hundred times. I'm already so sad about this, but continue. I'm sorry. So
1: the, uh, the deputies pulled into the driveway of the Comrade family farm. And they see 10-year-old Robin Doan. She's still wearing her pajamas sitting on the back of her stepdad's pickup truck on the phone with 911.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Robin jumped down from the back of the pickup truck, and she immediately ran over and hugged Officer Chad Brooks. Oh, my God. Chad also stated that despite how bad Robin was distraught, she was still able to articulate very precisely about what happened what she experienced
0: oh my god and she's so young yeah what a badass little girl holy shit
1: oh you're gonna find out how how, really how badass oh my
0: oh my god
1: so for now officer brooks has never been in this area before it's a big wide open area they think this killer could be anywhere Right. Or, you know, intruder could be anywhere.
0: Right, right.
1: And he takes Robin and puts her in his patrol car and locks the door so he can join the other officers with guns drawn.
0: To go search everything. To go
1: sweep. Yeah, because, you know, all they know is she said it's a shootout. He gets there, she's telling him, you know, what's going on? They got to go clear it. Right, right. So the eastern door of the residence had been kicked in, but... The house was eerily untouched. Everything was in place, there was nothing stolen, and even the coffee pot was set to come on the next morning.
0: Oh, wow. So,
1: like, that morning it would have turned on. Gotcha. When they get to the master bedroom, they find 31-year-old Brian. He was shot three times.
0: Holy shit.
1: 35-year-old pregnant Michelle was shot six times.
0: Oh, my God.
1: They moved to Zach's room and find 14-year-old Zach had been shot three times. And their dog, Molly, was also shot as well.
0: Holy fuck.
1: Leaving Robin the only survivor of her family.
0: Her entire family was massacred?
1: Yes. Now...
0: Oh, my fucking God. Oh, now, my God.
1: It. She was with her mother and her stepdad, but, like, on her, her dad's side and his, their stepmother, you know. So... That side is still alive, but this side, the side she was staying with, the side she was living with, is now gone.
0: Holy fucking shit. Oh my God, this is fucking sad.
1: The chief deputy looked at Chad Brooks and told him to go comfort Robin. He said, you just go be with that little girl.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And he asked her if there was anything that he could do for her. And she said, I want to feed my animals.
0: Oh, oh my God. I'm going to fucking cry.
1: So, he took the time to be there for Robin. I know. And... There was a moment where she basically was able to step away from the situation that she found herself in and had a chance to reclaim some sense of sanity in a very chaotic and traumatic situation.
0: The fact that she is so young like this blows my fucking mind like badass is not even the word for this little girl like I oh my like I'm fucking blown I'm fucking blown
1: Yeah, that's all I can say is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, like that.
0: This is one of those fucking cases. Goodness. I almost
1: started crying again. But once she was there with her animals, it was like the whole outside world had disappeared. She was in that moment. She was telling Chad, like, this animal got this prize and this animal got this prize. Oh, wow. You know, this was my brother's.
0: Wow, and then
1: all of a sudden, the switch would get flipped again when they were getting ready to, to leave the corral. Jeer oh. me trip over my words <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I was saying that when they were leaving the corral, that's when it switched back and reality snapped back in, and oh, she would God. start crying again and saying she was cold and
0: um, oh my goodness, this breaks my fucking heart, man. She,
1: Finally, gathered up the courage to ask him. Mom and Brian aren't going to walk out of there, are they?
0: Oh my god, this is awful.
1: Yeah, and it it broke it broke everybody in at that law enforcement unit's heart just to have to tell her no.
0: I could not fucking imagine. Like, how do you even do that? how How do you go about telling a ten year old that her family, her mom, her siblings, her stepdad are dead? yeah i can't even begin to like wonder how that would even be a thing that you could do you know i don't know that just that's
1: that would be something who we that would be something hard for us as an adult to sit there and think about all of it for and that loss but a child who hasn't matured to understand death you know and all of a sudden everything's gone
0: in the most violent of ways to, you know, like not just death, but like violent death. Yeah. Ash, it's sad. It's so, really, really fucking sad.
1: So 12 hours after the murders, Robin was taken to a children's advocacy center named The Bridge. If gotcha. you don't know what these children's advocacy centers do, they put the child in a room that is videotaped and audio recorded the child tells her story once to a trained interviewer who knows, like, the right questions and a way to ask it so it doesn't re-traumatize them.
0: Yeah, well, that that's good.
1: Yeah, um, then a team that includes medical professionals, law enforcement, child protective services. It's everything rolled up in one. Gotcha. Um, And they look at the videotape of the child in that room, listen to their story, see their reactions, and then depending on what they feel this child is going to need, so that way her rights aren't infringed, too. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. That's
1: basically the job that they do, and it's actually amazing work. Anyway.
0: We like to see good stuff every once in a while. Yeah, I thought I would just (laughs) kind of explain
1: kind of what that is, because after the murders, they took her there. So, basically, she would sit down with an advocate, tell her her story, her side of things, her perspective, and, you know, things where they might clam up. The advocate would then let them know, hey, this is a safe space, you're safe, da 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 Gotcha,
0: gotcha, gotcha. So it's
1: Like I said, it's really awesome work. Anyway, Robin has asked if she knows why she's there, and this is what she said. Quote, to talk about what happened this morning, I have a question Do I really have to talk about what happened this morning again? Because I told people and told people and it just crushes me every time I say it. I can't really talk about that again, end quote.
0: Oh my fucking God.
1: But even though she didn't want to talk about it, when it was explained like your story is important, So, we can catch who did this. So, then she started opening up and telling them, like, her perspective. So, this, I am quoting her words exactly from an interview. She said, That night, I was having a nightmare, and I remember hearing gunshots in my dream. But when I woke up, it didn't end. The gunshots were actually going off in my house. My mother started screaming, screaming, and screaming, and screaming. I jumped out of my bed, and I went and crouched down by my door. That's when I heard footsteps. It was very loud. He was stomping. I just remember popping up as fast as I could and just taking two leaps back into my bed and just freezing. He fired two rounds off at me. I had one of them graze my left leg and left arm. He turned to my brother's room, and I just remember gunshots going off and my brother moaning. I played dead for two and a half hours. I was like, I can't just lay here. I need to do something, and so I just proceeded out the door and started dialing 911, end
0: quote. I am literally fucking speechless Yeah, and on the verge of tears. This is fucking awful. This is absolutely fucking awful.
1: Everybody, take a deep breath. It's a lot, but we're going to get through it. So Robin lay in bed, playing dead. The whole time she's hearing the gunman moving around her house, believing all the occupants were dead, he went downstairs and started going through the whole house.
0: Like Oh my god. He
1: was he was looking through the house for things to take, Mm -hmm. but he didn't make a mess of it.
0: He was tidy burglarizing. (laughs) Tidy burglarizing.
1: Immediately no. Uh
0: I tried. There's there's no other coping mechanism I have for my level of oh my fuck. Yeah. At this point in the story. So I just kind of.
1: So Robin listened <laughs> the whole time. She listened the whole time as he rummaged through drawers. He got himself something to eat. And then he ended up leaving the house.
0: Are you fucking kidding me? He literally shot everyone and then made him something to fucking eat? Yeah. What the fuck? At least that's
1: what one of my sources say.
0: What in the literal fuck?
1: So it's unclear whether she passed out for a little while, but the whole house got quiet and she didn't want to move she didn't move until the sun started to come through the windows just a little bit like sunrise
0: oh my god bless her heart man
1: she was 10 Ugh. she's just a baby
0: I literally could not fucking imagine like in any way I cannot imagine this this is literally unfucking imaginable
1: right I told you I told you I think this and my guy's heart, a monster my, and my heart is breaking. He deserves all the uncomfortable anal probing that is readily made available to him.
0: (laughs) Hopefully with pineapples
1: and spikes and and nails and needles. (laughs) Oh, my
0: God. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is really, really uh, an evil one for sure.
1: Yeah. So once everything was quiet, you know, she was she didn't stop to look into any of the rooms. Because she was already scared she knew what she was going to find.
0: I couldn't imagine she that at 10 years She grabbed the phone old.
1: and went outside and sat on her stepdad's truck to call 911.
0: Oh, my God. When
1: she was asked how many shots she heard, she said in a very matter-of-fact voice, 15 shots.
0: Holy shit.
1: She even commented that every shot was accompanied by a flash in the darkness.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, this is making me sick.
1: The investigators found 15 shells exactly.
0: So she recalled that at 10 years old literally perfectly.
1: Yep. In Robin's room.
0: Oh, my God.
1: In her room, the two shots missed her. And one source says that one of the bullets went through her pillow. Anyway, one of the bullets was lodged into, like, a plastic drawer that was beside her bed. There was a bullet hole in it.
0: Holy shit. And then another
1: bullet grazed her arm and her leg. And, obviously, I guess he thought he got her. Wow. Uh, Investigators found 15 shots. They also found footprints and tire marks. But what they didn't have was dna evidence or fingerprints this was an absolutely senseless crime and no one had any inclination or evidence to figure out who did this like who would do such a thing she's I really 10, couldn't imagine lost this. her whole family and the baby i it's heavy it's heavy so...
0: super fucking heavy <laughs> super heavy my god
1: So, now the safety of Robin became first priority. They had absolutely no idea who had done this, where the killer is, and were they coming back for Robin. So, Robin and her dad's side of the family. So, her biological dad, her stepmom, and her stepsister, along with herself, was all moved into a home. You had to be buzzed in to get into the home, Oh, Um, wow, like
0: maximum security type shit?
1: Yeah, under video surveillance, she was not allowed to leave under any circumstance. But they did make an exception for the funeral, and this is what Robin had to say. I just remember sitting there, and I would just look at one casket, and I'd look at the second casket, and then I would turn, and I'd look at the third casket, and I would do it all over again. It wasn't fair to sit there and look at that. I know that was really hard to listen to.
0: Yeah, that's, again, can't imagine. It's like, could you imagine? And I'm like, absolutely fucking not. (laughs) No, I can't imagine. This is fucking sad. Yeah. Sad. Sad. Depressing (laughs) as fuck.
1: This absolutely shocked the people in Pampa, Texas, to the point... Where they definitely made sure that their doors were locked or if they had a firearm close by.
0: Yeah, I can imagine this had a severely awful effect on the community. Yeah. I literally couldn't even imagine because I've never had anything like that happen like in my neighborhood or close by me you know i wouldn't know how the fuck that would make me feel that's scary this yeah. is the kind of crime that definitely impacts everybody
1: everyone's concerned on whether this killer was going to strike again and not to mention his whereabouts like is he still in the city
0: he could be anywhere or in the exactly. surrounding areas yeah yeah that's a scary fucking thought
1: so there was this rumor going around that this was, like, some sort of a drug hit or oh, gang-related. Wow. Holy you know, shit. Rumors are spreading like wildfire because the sheriffs didn't have anything to go on.
0: Right, they so people are just all this making this up evidence. shit. Yeah,
1: this evidence, I mean, you know, the blood splatter from obvious impact from the bullets. Yeah. They had that, they had the footprints, but, you know, they didn't really have anything... To get off a person.
0: Like forensic evidence of any kind. Like it
1: was just... Not there.
0: Wow.
1: This family was killed for absolutely no reason. And people were doing everything they could to figure out why this happened. Right. So it was said that the Conrad family were the salt of the earth type people. Like they were just loved by their community and their friends. It didn't matter who you were. They were very accepting and loving people. So this ended up being a random attack out of nowhere. They had no enemies. You know, they didn't have bad blood with anybody. This was literally random.
0: That is fucking terrifying.
1: But little did they know that the answer to this crime would lie with another crime that happened in another state 14 hours before the attack on the Conrad family. So, Gage, side note. I'm going to preface this because I'm going to be talking about a different murder now, but it is all connected. It has something to do with Robin's story. So we will pick back up on Robin.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there. September 30th in Pineville, Missouri at 10 a.m., a call came to the sheriff's office to report a double homicide. There were two people that had been shot. And they had just come home from grocery shopping. They still had grocery bags in their hands.
0: Holy shit.
1: The victims were 70-year-old Orly McCool, who was shot once, and 47-year-old Don McCool, who was shot several times.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Don McCool was Orly McCool's former daughter-in-law. Orley was an army veteran and retired restaurant owner. His wife was out of town, and he needed his daughter-in-law to help him bring the groceries in.
0: Holy fucking shit.
1: So this is a statement from Matthew McCool. He was Don's son and Orley's grandchild. So this clip gives you perspective into what kind of people they were.
0: Once I get to the house, a relative is standing outside, and he tells me,
1: that my mother and grandfather had been murdered my mom was a very loving and caring mother and was my best friend and my grandfather was always supportive always there for me I just recently lost my father as well you definitely feel like you've lost everyone the victims were found by Orly's nephew Alan Sink like, he went over to his uncle's house to check in.
0: Right, right.
1: He found the front door was unlocked, and he walked inside. Dawn's body was found on the lower level on the steps of the basement.
0: Oh, my God.
1: She has sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Her purse was still on her shoulder.
0: Jesus.
1: In it, police found a receipt from the town and country supermarket, which was time-stamped 1.53 p.m. Thursday, September 29th. Former McDonald County prosecutor Steve Geating has said the victims were killed sometime around 2 to 3 p.m. on the 29th. Don entered the house from the entry level and started carrying the groceries downstairs, and Orly walked in behind her. They had no idea there was an intruder hiding in Orly's office.
0: That is so fucked.
1: And the office was, like, right off of the foyer that they were walking through. Yeah. So, Don actually walked past him first and then he stepped out of the closet, shot Orly in the head.
0: Oh my God.
1: And Don was walking down the stairs and he repeatedly shot down the stairs at Don. And he oh continued my God. to shoot. He continued to shoot until he was completely sure that they were both dead.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: So, as the gunman exited the house, he looked over and saw, like, a set of keys by the flower box, Mm -hmm. and he took them, which were to a 2005 Dodge Dakota, and he fled the scene in Orly's truck.
0: Holy shit.
1: So, as they're investigating the crime scene, they realize that Orly McCool's truck is missing. They immediately put out a bolo, or which is a be on the lookout.
0: gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Considering Orly lived five miles from the grocery store, detectives concluded the murders took place sometime around 2 p.m. that day. And detectives found that there were several spent shell casings, which they collected for later analysis, and started interviewing eyewitnesses. So you had all this stuff going on.
0: Eyewitnesses
1: eyewitnesses one of the individuals they interviewed was shane walters who said that around 2 p.m he noticed a man walking around the orley residence he informed them that the man looked strikingly similar to scott king a local resident who is
0: this scott king exactly who are you scott king
1: The following clip is one of the deputy sheriffs that was on the scene of the McCool crime scene. And I was able to find this clip, but I wasn't able to find his name. So he will remain anonymous.
0: We're looking at the ammo, the shell cases. And one of the other deputies there that does a lot of the crime scenes said, I just took a burglar report. Well, Mr. King had reported that his son Levi had come into the house while he was gone and broke into his uh, gun safe and
1: stole several guns.
0: Holy fucking shit. Did you get that dun-dun-dun?
1: kind of kind of feeling. Yes,
0: I definitely got the dun-dun-dun. <laughs> but like, he found out what?
1: Okay, so basically, so as they're talking to the eyewitness and everything, they're, they're examining shell casings there on the crime
0: scene. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: And as they're looking at these shell casings, one of the officers who normally works crime scenes Gotcha. said that the shell casings seem kind of familiar because of the break-in that he attended the crime scene of the break-in at scott king
0: at scott king's place yeah gotcha gotcha yeah thank
1: you that's what i was trying to say but Gotcha. um, gotcha. but yeah he was saying basically these you know some of the shell casings he's like "Mm, these look kind of familiar and i know over here there was a burglary so
0: where guns were stolen right Holy fucking shit. So
1: Scott King lived in Missouri, just miles away from Orly, and investigators were informed that on September 29th, the day Orly and Dawn had been murdered, King reported a burglary at his house.
0: No fucking way.
1: King reported to police that he had gotten several guns stolen, including a 9mm Smith & Wesson pistol. The sheriff's office started to surmise the possibility, like, one of these weapons was used for this murder.
0: Right, right.
1: So the sheriff's contacted Scott King and made initial arrangements to search his residence and McDonald County Sheriff's deputy arrived at King's house that afternoon. He showed the officers a spot by the door where he allowed his sons to shoot guns.
0: What the f- Uh, That doesn't seem safe.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're going to get into all of that here soon. But they found a bunch of different casings on the floor, and the casings appeared to match the ones detectives retrieved that morning from Orly's house.
0: At the crime scene.
1: Yes. So, King stated that the casings were previously fired from a 9mm Smith & Wesson that had been stolen. Many casings that were found were sent to the crime lab, for Ballistic's comparison. Later that day, Scott King went to the sheriff's office to submit a statement, and almost immediately he told them about his 23-year-old son, Levi King. Scott told police that he had last seen Levi at 7 a.m. on September 29th. He took him to a bus stop so he could take a bus to Anderson. Levi got out of his dad's truck that morning and said he was going to the bathroom, but he never came back.
0: What the f-
1: So Scott thought that Levi might not only have possession of the gun, but was possibly involved in the murder to some degree. (music) Levi King was born in Arkansas in 1982. Uh, He was raised in Pineville, Missouri, along with six brothers and sisters. But problems with Levi began to show when he was really young. And I oh, mean really no. young.
0: Oh, no. It's not going to be one of those. Yes. No. So
1: at just four years old, he was angry with his sister. He couldn't remember what he was angry with her about. And he began to look into her bedroom for things that he could set on fire that would hurt her.
0: And he was four.
1: Yep. But instead of setting things on fire, he set the curtains on fire in his sister's bedroom.
0: What? Yeah. Yeah. The hell. His
1: parents divorced in 1987 when he was five years old. He then lived with his dad only.
0: Wow. Like,
1: the King household was an absolute hellhole. It was unsanitary, they had no running water, and the house had no
0: rules. And evidently, they got a kid setting curtains on fucking fire.
1: Yeah. Jesus. Like, what?
0: I couldn't imagine.
1: The kids could write on the walls, even. And they could get alcohol wherever they wanted.
0: Alcohol? Yep. Alcohol? How old are these kids? Alcohol?
1: Yep. What? Levi took after his father, Scott, and they were both obsessed with weapons. His father had guns, swords, knives, and hatchets. His father often did drugs in front of the children, and by his early teenage years, Levi also picked up a drug habit himself.
0: Oh, no. Not the generational recycled abuse. Like, when he
1: was around five years old was when he started smoking and drinking.
0: Five years old.
1: Five years old.
0: I am... Fucking speechless like I'm so speechless
1: at 13 or 14 years old. He began to pop pills.
0: Holy shit. This is not good.
1: At a very young age, he began to kill animals and pets. He went to his father's room, got a gun, and continued to shoot the family cat until there was nothing left of the cat. What the fuck? By the age of 15, Levi dropped out of school, and by the age of 17, he was committed to a mental institution.
0: So no one gave a shit about any of this? No one. Oh, my God, this is that same phenomenon that I talked about in my last case when I covered William Cornick, that there is literally a phenomenon that happens in which you will see blatant and clear red flags manifesting like this leading up to something fucking horrific happening. Right. Like you have Edmund Kemper. I will reference him All day long, you have Brenda Spencer, uh, William Cornick was also on that list. There is just so many times that you see this happen to where there is some crazy, ridiculous shit happening. Some crazy, crazy twisted behavior and thinking happening. Yeah. And no one does nothing. And that is so, it's enraging. It's literally enraging. This is another example of that. Because that is fucking insane. And things are just
1: perpetuated and just allowed to go on.
0: For- He's literally shooting animals and shooting their house, like their house pets. He's setting curtains on fire. Like, this is Absolutely fucking insane. Right. That no one stopped this kid. Yeah. Like fucking crazy.
1: And Levi's spiral or freefall, you could say, continued, especially after the 2002 death of his brother, Spencer, who was fatally wounded inside the house with one of his father's guns.
0: What? Did he shoot himself or was he shot?
1: It didn't say. I, I wasn't able to find anything like that. But he was shot by one of his father's guns fatally yes
0: jesus like in the home too yes good god
1: and at the age of 20 levi was diagnosed with bipolar disorder same sorry (laughs) (laughs) and he was sentenced that same year for burglarizing a neighbor's house and setting it on fire
0: jesus
1: levi spent 17 months in prison before being paroled and sent to a halfway house in st louis but in mid-september of 2005 he fled the halfway house He then hitchhiked back to Pineville, Missouri, unsure of his next move. He wasn't expecting a warm welcome at his house. He wasn't really sure how his father was going to react. Right. But his father was rather nonchalant about his son being there and didn't really show any type of interest in his son being home. So they got into this huge argument and Scott King kicked Levi out of the house.
0: Oh, no. So
1: Levi felt that he wasn't good enough to be home with his dad and his family, and he wasn't good enough to be able to stay there with his family in the only place he knew. So he was angry.
0: I I can see that. I can see that. Oh, this is making me nervous. Oh, I'm Squidward. (laughs) And oh, I'm nervous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Squidward. Yeah, I'm nervous. Squidwarded, I'm nervous. Okay. okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, on a real note, though, I am nervous.
1: So Levi waited for Scott to leave in the morning to go to work, and he entered his father's house and vandalized his father's bedroom, stole an AK-47, a scoped hunting rifle, a 380, which is another handgun, and a 9mm Smith & Wesson handgun.
0: Oh, Suspicious. Suspicious.
1: Levi was connected to the McCool crime by the 9mm Smith & Wesson shell casings that matched casings at Scott King's house. Gotcha. So the McDonald County Sheriff's Department issued a warrant for Levi King's arrest. So Levi headed south in Orly's truck. He had driven 500 miles out of Pampa into El Paso. And across the border into Juarez, Mexico.
0: Oh, shit. So he was on the run.
1: So Levi, at this point, was headed south in Orly McCool's truck. And he was starting to panic The high from killing was starting to wear off and he actually began to think about the situation that he was in. Oh, you don't say. Well, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. actions. He especially started to panic after he mistakenly exited off the main highway. He got turned around and got lost essentially and turned back to go in the opposite direction still in Orly's truck and he was actually heading toward Border Patrol with no other exits in sight
0: holy shit so he goofed
1: (laughs) he goofed hard goofed
0: big time big time goof
1: he gets caught at the border patrol with the weapons in the back of the truck He seemed very nervous, and they asked him for his ID, and they asked him if he had anything he was bringing through with him. I mean, that's just a regular, normal question that they ask you at the border. He admitted to having the firearms on him.
0: Holy shit.
1: They discovered that the vehicle was registered to a Mr. and Mrs. Orly McCool, and before long, agents spotted something lodged between the seats. They also discovered a Missouri Department of Corrections ID which directly linked him to being none other than Levi King.
0: Holy shit, they got his ass.
1: So the agents fingerprinted him and entered him into APHIS, and it was confirmed that he was currently on suspicion for a double homicide. Once they found that information, they ended up handing him over to the El Paso police. Levi didn't lie about anything.
0: Oh wow, he didn't try to deny it?
1: During the 40-minute interrogation at the El Paso headquarters, he admitted that he had stolen the guns from his father, killed the McCools, and used their truck to skip town. He was very forthcoming with all this information on what he had done, and he looked like a normal person. Calm, collected on the outside. He talked about all the details of killing Orly and Don McCool.
0: That is so chilling.
1: Levi was then shipped back to Missouri, The following clip is of a deputy named Don Ruby who picked Levi King up at the border. And what he says that Levi said on his way back to Missouri turns my fucking stomach, dude. Listen to this. We get to El Paso PD. We are met by the detectives that are working the case. I observed Levi standing there, knew him, Said his name. He knew who I was. We both acknowledged each other. We loaded him up in the pickup up and headed back towards
0: missouri during a conversation with levi he described it even hours later he could still smell the gunpowder
1: the sweat and the blood and describing it as a feeling that was probably better than any drugs he'd ever done
0: holy fucking shit yeah holy yeah, I know. fucking shit
1: it's terrible
0: killing for the fucking thrill of it jesus Yeah, I kind of, in the beginning, when you said he deserves pineapples shoved up his butthole, I I second that. I second this. He deserves nothing but the most pineapple pineapples in his butt. (laughs) That's all he deserves. Evil little twisted (laughs) shithead.
1: Oh, my God.
0: I said what had to be said.
1: (laughs) You was thinking it, yeah, but you said it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He was formally interrogated on October 6, 2005. He told them every detail of his day when he killed Orly and Dawn. Once he left his father at the bus station, he walked his way back to his dad's place and stayed in an old car that was outside, like, waiting for his dad to leave for work. Mm Mm-hmm. And he took a hatchet, went inside the house, vandalized his dad's bedroom, took the hatchet, and hacked into the gun safe. He put the firearms and ammo in a book bag and left.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: This is where he got the 9mm, the hunting rifle, and the AK-47. He didn't have a plan, but he was armed. He left the house close to noon and took off through the woods, taking a shortcut, I guess, that he knew. Levi left the two rifles and the bag of ammunition stashed just off the road. He then headed down the county road and walked out Route 71 with only the 9 mil.
0: Oh my god.
1: So he's got his little stockpile over here going on and just walking down the road with a gun like,
0: And no one thought to be like, this is kind of fucking weird. I don't know. Maybe we should stop him. He looks kind (laughs) of dangerous walking down the road with a gun. Like, (laughs) none of that. None of that. There was none of that.
1: He watched Orly and Don leaving, and he decided he was going to break into their house. There was an open window leading into the master bedroom.
0: Oh, my God. These poor people.
1: He entered the window and began searching room by room for anything he could steal before they got back. He found Orley's 380 lying next to the bed in the master bedroom, so that's where he got the 380 from. When he heard sounds of people returning, he hid in the office closet that I was telling you about. Yep. So Don walked by, he let her pass, Orley came in, he shot him in the side of the head, and Levi started to get really scared. He then aimed the gun down the stairs toward Don, who was still carrying groceries and fired at her several times to make sure he killed her.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: So he fled the scene in Orly's truck, we know that. He drove back to his father's house, then retrieved the backpack of guns he hid in the woods nearby. He told police he had absolutely no justification for killing the McCools, and he didn't know why he shot them, he just did.
0: What in the fuck?
1: So this is a short clip from his interrogation and they basically asked him why he did it. Uh, You just gotta just listen to this. On October 19th, Texas detectives received a phone call that there was a suspect in Missouri that had just admitted to killing a group of people in Texas.
0: Oh my God, I fucking knew it.
1: McDonald County Police in Missouri told the Gray County, Texas sheriffs that the suspect they have in custody is a man named Levi King. Levi never informed Missouri detectives that he ever killed anybody in Texas. Levi asked to specifically speak to Don Ruby, who was the deputy he befriended at the Missouri jail. Gotcha. He's the same deputy that went to go pick him up at the border.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: And he requested for him to come in. So they allowed Levi King to go out into the yard at the jail and they walked around the yard and he sat there and told him, you know, there's four more, right?
0: Oh, my God. Like I said, I fucking knew it. I knew that this little shithead was responsible for also killing Robin Doan's family. This is fucking insane. He had just killed two other people. And then went to Texas and killed Robin's family, and then went back.
1: Oh, you figured it out.
0: What in the fuck? Well, oh my you haven't God, com- you
1: haven't completely figured it out, but this leave. makes
0: me so sick. I had that feeling. I didn't want to say it prematurely, but like I was i w- I was absorbing the vibe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the vibe is still not likable.
0: Damn sure isn't.
1: Levi then came clean about the Conrad murders three weeks after the murders were committed. When he was talking about the location, he didn't know it was Pampa, Texas. He identified the location, like, where he had murdered these people by a huge cross that was in the area. And from what I understand, there are very few locations that have a cross that that big
0: gotcha gotcha so he misidentified so
1: the location the deputy like they did cross-referencing to see if there were any open cases in those areas and the conrad family case was one of those cases they also cross-reference evidence of the firearms he had in possession at the border and the ak-47 was used in the conrad murders
0: holy shit
1: in march 2006 Levi was indicted for two counts of murder in Missouri and three counts of murder in Texas. He was facing the death penalty in both states. Levi pled guilty to all the charges, but he pled not guilty at first to the Conrad murders. Because
0: the death penalty was on the table? I think that's why?
1: I believe he was still trying to see if he could get away with it.
0: Maybe get either, an insanity plea or something. Either that
1: or his um, prosecution team, like his defense team, probably told him to plead not guilty because that's that's plausible as well. True, but very true. all of that aside, in the end, he did plead guilty to all of it. In Waynesville, Missouri, on April 18th in 2008, inside the Pulaski County Circuit Court, Say that five times fast.
0: I know, right? You did a good job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Levi King took the stand during his sentencing hearing for the murders of the McCools. The fact that he was involved in drugs and childhood abuse and everything else, he waived all of that in his defense. He said, I'm not going to blame it on anything. I did it. I'm guilty. I'm responsible.
0: Well, at least take accountability, you dipshit.
1: (laughs) That's all I have to (laughs) say about it. The look on your face says
0: everything. (laughs) Like, wow, you deserve a a fucking medal, guy.
1: So Levi was subsequently sentenced to two life terms without the possibility of parole. And in August 2008, Levi entered Lubbock County Courthouse in Texas and pled not guilty to the murders of the Conrads, as I said earlier. This delayed the proceedings for about eight months. And when the proceedings finally picked up, he changed his plea to guilty.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: To further clarify that, Um, 14-year-old Robin, the sole survivor of Levi's rampage, took the stand and recounted the details of this horrific night three years prior in which she lost her entire family.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: She talked about how she missed her father, mother, brother, and how she was still traumatized to this very day. I was going to be sitting in front of a murderer who had killed my loved ones, and... To testify, I didn't want to, but I knew that I needed to for my family's sake. I was the only one that got to walk out of the house. They didn't, and they needed a voice too. I tried to avoid looking at Levi King as long as I possibly could, and finally I couldn't resist the urge anymore because I wanted to see who had actually done this. And so I looked at him, and the stare that i got back was the worst feeling of my entire life
0: robin is quite literally the patron saint of badassery (laughs) like fucking literally this the the chicken legs that i have right now chicken legs
1: chicken legs
0: i've been reduced to chicken legs (laughs) this girl is such a
1: badass
0: (laughs) i literally am about to cry this is fucking awful
1: it's awful, but it does end on a good note. It does. It does. I promise you it does. So Lynn Switzer, who is a former district attorney of Gray County, said, quote, the hard part about Robin testifying was to see the pain that precious little girl had to go through and endure. And then to see her say, I've endured this, but you're not taking my life away from me. I'm not giving you that kind of control.
0: Holy shit. The chills.
1: On October 5th, the jury began deliberating. Levi King was still facing death penalty charges for the impact that it had on Robin, like they were going balls to the wall.
0: Good. Good.
1: To agree on the death penalty, though, the jury had to be completely in agreement. But one juror, one juror, help juror. That's such a weird word. Say it with me.
0: Juror. Juror. (laughs) Juror. Jew, bro, bro, so
1: anyway, w- one of one of the people of the jury, that sounds better. <laughs> he held out for more than 7 hours and refused to vote for the death penalty.
0: Did he say why? No. Nope. What the fuck? Without a
1: unanimous vote on October 6, 2009, Levi King received three life sentences without the possibility of parole. Levi King is currently incarcerated at the Eastern Reception Diagnostic and Correctional Center in Bon Terre, Missouri.
0: Good. I hope he stays there for the rest of his fucking life.
1: Okay, are you ready for the good ending? Are you yes. guys happy? Are you ready for the good ending?
0: Fuck Levi King.
1: So on Robin's 16th birthday, she invited Officer Chad Brooks to attend and enjoy her birthday with her.
0: What? I'm gonna fucking cry. Did he go? Yes, he went. I'm going to
1: cry. Yeah, so Robin Doan, now 28, remains in close contact with what she calls her law enforcement family especially chad brooks
0: oh my heart my fucking heart quoted she stayed from
1: robin this was quoted from she robin. stayed
0: in touch with them growing yeah. up oh my god
1: she said when i hug him every time i see him it's that same hug i got the day that he came and he was the first one to me
0: oh i'm gonna fucking cry
1: right it's just like the most heartwarming you know it's just safe place kind of feeling
0: that makes me so happy that she has that. Truly, it makes me happy that she has that. Poor fucking girl.
1: So her support system consists of the law enforcement community of Pampa. That's they,
0: amazing. They
1: actually raised $10,000 to pay for junior college, and they're always there to motivate her.
0: Oh, my God. That's so precious. She has, like, this whole family unit, you know? yeah. That's really fucking precious.
1: Holidays and birthdays are difficult for her, obviously, but she doesn't let what happened keep her down. She actually looks forward to a future where she can help others, and she wants to work toward being in law enforcement.
0: To take something so fucking awful, to take such a tragedy and pain that we can't even sit and metaphorically imagine, for this girl to take that and to transform it into fuel that she's wanting to use to improve her life and to maybe help other people who could be in her situation. I think that is so powerful Yes, that she did that. And honestly, as I said a couple of minutes ago, Robin, you are quite literally the patron saint of badassery <laughs> in my eyes. This is incredible. I'm so happy to hear that she has that mentality like that. That is strength unlike most things I've never heard of.
1: Yeah, and she truly, actually, it is. She actually went on to play basketball, volleyball, softball, track, and cheerleading.
0: Wow! So all she's extremely like talented, Atkins. multi-talented yeah. too. Wow!
1: So, quoted from Robin, "This is how today's case is going to end." She said, "I don't want to live with the fact of being bitter and being angry all the time for what had happened." I did forgive Levi King because me forgiving him, it's my sense of peace. And it was my sense of this is how I was raised and this is my family coming out. And that concludes the incredible survival story of Robin Doan.
0: This is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I'm feeling such a flux of emotion right now. This is absolutely one of the saddest cases I've ever heard about. But like I was saying, her to transform, such an awful tragedy. Like, I could not imagine, but for her to take this pain and her experience and to somehow find the will to motivate herself with it to become better and to, like, claim her life back, you know, and for her to be so young when this happened to her. Again, for the third time, she's she's the patron saint of badassery. Like, I'm sure you all can agree with me. You did a fantastic job telling this. This was heart-wrenchingly sad. Uh, Megan, I can say that I guess I'm not angry about your <laughs> suggestion, even though it definitely <laughs> fucked me up and almost made me cry and puke like three times. But, you know, <laughs> wow, this was – what a story. What a case. Oh, my God. I really – you know, Robin, I wish you the best. I hope I, I hope you have everything happy in life. I just, holy shit, I could cry. It's
1: a lot. It is a lot. But we do want to end today's episode by saying, Merry Chrysler.
0: Oh, yeah. Merry Chrysler, everyone. This will be our last upload until after Christmas. So we hope oh, you yeah. have a good Santa Claus Chrysler spiky pine tree glass ornament day (laughs) with all of your folks and stuff for sure (laughs) and we also hope you enjoyed this week's episode we will be back next week with a case from yours truly and you can count that it's going to be awful and if you would like to follow me and ray and all of our weird well we got news for you you can do that
1: you can find us on facebook at
0: Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast.
1: On Twitter.
0: At Gore Report.
1: All right, guys. Well, we love you so much, and we hope that this case fucked you up as much as it did
0: us. We love you guys. We're going to get off of here and do anything we can to get this shit off of our minds. Bye. Bye. Are you afraid? You should be. You bless me.